All right. Welcome to the Twin Geeks. Do you believe in pirate podcasts, Aaron? Because you're in one. <laughs> I like that. I like that intro a lot. <laughs> um, so glad you joined so we could talk about the Pirates of the Caribbean, the whole series. We're just going to do like a small like retrospective, uh, go through our feelings on each film, kind of go into some background, uh, where they stand like culturally, how they've aged as we look toward possibly a Mergo Robbie pirate movie. There's some stuff rumored right now. So uh, it's back in the conversation um, as it should have always been. I think <laughs> um, as we move away from a certain kind of blockbuster filmmaking, we're kind of looking back at the last era of a different kind of blockbuster. So um, and what's your history with the pirates movies? Were, were you always following them? I have been into them from the very beginning for sure. I am a huge fan of the series. In general, I'm a big fan of anything swashbuckling. So I was in the Navy for over 15 years. Call it just, a, a, you know, some sort of connection to the sea that I have. I really enjoy anything to do with naval situations when it comes to cinema. And we don't get a lot of it. We don't get a lot of movies that are set out on ships, even whether it's warships or pirate ships. And so... I kind of eat them up every time we get something like this. And I think that these are just such a great example of a rip roaring family adventure film that for the first two or three, at least we didn't don't really get anymore, you know, before yeah. it had everything <laughs> turned into Marvelization. Uh, mm. and, and I really enjoy them like a lot. It's that rare exception of like you could take a theme park ride and make it into a movie and the movie's not just a theme park ride. It's a lot more than it, the ride is. Um, and the ride seems okay. It seems like you just kind of travel underground in the dark and look look around at a, a, some of the pirate iconography. Um, one of Disney's you, first rides. Have you taken it before? Uh, so I took like whatever the earliest iteration was like in the early 90s. So it's a been updated since to kind of reflect the films and like have jack sparrow at the end and uh so i haven't seen the current iteration at all but uh i watched some videos of it and uh listened to a podcast about the history of the ride and i like uh, the backgrounds of it are like designed by one of disney's early animators so like the people who like design like the like the really gorgeous backdrops like sleeping beauty and and whatnot are kind of like designing some of disney's rides at that point which I think it's why their park is so different from other theme parks um, is that original like animators eye for uh, movement and like being in a world that they designed of their movies. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, there's definitely a uniqueness to it that they have that other theme parks don't have. And I watched or went through the ride, I would say a couple of times once was mm -hmm. in the mid 2000s and once was in the mid 2013s and i would say in the mid 2000s when was pirates was it 2003 yeah that's a, it was around 2003 ish i believe okay so then i think we went before we had kids so i, I may have gone before the movie Okay. Or right after the movie. I can't remember if Jack was in it the first time I went. He was there the second time. But I distinctly remember certain scenes from the ride and then being giddy when I saw them in the movie. So specifically, the shot of the dog. Yeah. There 
is this dog in the first movie. And when he has the keys to the prison cell in his mouth and the prisoners are like reaching out through the bars and they're like, come here, doggy, give us the <laughs> key. You know, they're trying to get him to come over that. I remember that scene being in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride and, uh, and, and geeking out when I saw it in the movie. So I feel like I must've gone on the ride before I saw the first movie. Um, or maybe it was on a rewatch. I don't know, but I, I absolutely love the connective tissue and how just creatively interesting it is to take this ride. And it's funny that we call it a ride, by the way, mm-hmm. some of these Disney rides, they're, they're not what you normally think of as an amusement park ride. Like it's not no. a roller coaster. It's an experience. It's kind of like the haunted mansion. It's like mm-hmm. an interactive trip through a, a location, you know, and it, you're just, you're just, you're just vibing with it. You're not like worried about what's going to happen to the boat. You're just going through. It's like a movie. You're like literally flowing through a movie, but you're doing it on this little boat in a pool of water that happens to be on an electric track. It's <laughs> taking yeah. you through and it's a really cool way to experience storytelling. So that's uh, developed from like their, it's a small world, right? Which is like, oh, people will just like sit there and watch the surroundings. So at the same time, they develop the pirates and haunted mansion, like in that same part of the park and uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, no coincidence, those rides are some of their more experiential because they just figured out and they were just testing like how that would work, having someone experience more of a, a theme in their theme park. So uh, uh, these are more thematic rides and, uh, uh, there's a little story in the ride too. Um, uh, it's something like what happens in the movies, uh, not exactly, but uh, I I mean there's small touches like the the skeleton drinking wine and it falling through his ribs. Like that's you know that's one thing I remember from the ride and I connect to the movie. But also just like bits of dialogue are kind of lifted. Um, there were uh, recordings like uh, Pirates Life for Me was kind of like created for the ride that that song and. Uh, uh, adapted from like uh, Treasure Island, kind of. Uh, there were already like, mentions of that, and they uh, put that in there. But I, I think it's hard to imagine like going through the ride and then designing this film. So I think a lot of things have to come together. Uh, specifically, I think uh, Gore Verbinski has to come in, uh, who I am really endeared to. I love The Ring as a Pacific Northwest horror, like adapted from like a Japanese culture. I think it's really neat. Um, a cure for wellness is a very creepy movie. The, the ring is set in Pacific Northwest. Yeah, yeah, that's set in uh, Seattle or outer Seattle really? area. We have the farm out here that that it's uh, based in. The one that the American version. I had no idea. I mean, I haven't seen mm-hmm. either ring, ring or ringo, either one since I don't know since the ring came out, which was probably two decades ago or something now. But that's crazy. I'm gonna have to rewatch it now with that and, in mind. I had no earthly idea. Ring two, like very explicitly has Seattle in it, and you feel like you're around there. Like, uh, it's more just like outlying territories in the first one, but but yeah, you're in a you're in a farm that's in the Northwest, and uh, it does have that flavor in the woods there. Um, one of my favorite Northwest horror films. So, uh, I'm a big uh, gore fan already by this point. Um, I just think he brings an interesting flavor almost because he is like a horror director and, and he has these supernatural elements, which is, I think what differentiates this from like the more uh, just straightforward swashbuckling uh, pirate movies that came before is it's every one of these movies is very keyed into like a supernatural idea. I completely agree. I don't know that I am a huge 
gore fan typically mm. i really don't know exactly what else he's made i know he's dabbled in horror but i haven't seen a cure for wellness and some of his more straightforward horror movies are not always the kind of things that i love but i agree with you that it's because of that sensibility that he mixes with the adventurous nature of it, that's what makes this special it's lightning in a bottle is really oh, yeah. what, what we're talking about here <laughs> or black pearl in a bottle uh <laughs> It's a matter of you, you threw these things together and you just, you can't, I don't want to say you got lucky because, but you kind of got, got lucky where you, you do this as in filmmaking. I think Hollywood, you know, you pick a director, you pick your filmmaking team, your composers, your cinematographers, you, you bring all these creative people, your actors together and your story writers. And you're hoping that it becomes something that is outstanding and that people love and what we had here was just the perfect mix of vision and uniqueness to where we hadn't seen it done in this way before that you use the word endearing and that's perfect i think everyone kind of just felt that way because it's it's not too heavy in the horror where it scares people too much it's just light enough but there are some terrifying scenes if you have young children you know you you kind of gotta be aware of those but then it's always backing that up with some sort of a comedic beat or a whimsy to the fantasy world that makes it a little more lighthearted and not hmm. quite as heavy. Even though when you think about these films, which I did more deeply this time around because of the podcast, I was thinking more critically about the plots. And I was thinking about yeah. things like, are we right rooting for the right people? And are the, we're the, these are murderers and like you start kind of getting into that but but it's so much fun it's so bouncy yeah that you just kind of are able to gloss over those things for the most part but I, that's one of my favorite things is not just the supernatural horrorous horrorish aspect of it but the mythology around these movies is something that i truly adore and i don't think i would like them nearly as much if they were just straightforward pirates versus colonial or not colonial maybe it's colonial but whoever you know mm. the english and the the uh, the india trading company and the spaniards yeah. if it was just human versus human with no any sort of spectacular um lore behind it it would be a lot less interesting to me it could have so easily been mutiny on the bounty with disney theme around it yeah, like the exactly. theme park adapted to that movie and that could have been fine <laughs> i don't think it could have been great if it were that um and gore of course uh uh also famed director of mouse hunt uh so he has a comedic touch <laughs> about a, a movie about a mouse being let loose on a house uh, and uh how you have to deal with that uh, uh a comic film but he could also do the weatherman um my favorite gore verbinski is Seriously, the I, I had no idea. <laughs> Have you seen that? I think so. Okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure. That's the depressed Nicolas Cage one where he plays yeah. uh, Spritz, okay. the, the weatherman. I've seen that, uh, yeah. Funnily Absolutely. named Spritz. I uh, would have never thought that was Gore Verbinski. It's crazy. My dad and I watched that, and uh, we both got very emotional. I think that's the only time that happened to both of us watching a movie at the same time. So uh, I, I value the weatherman probably more than the movie supports. I, 
Uh, I think you know all about that. So uh, your podcast is Feeling Film. If you if you want to plug that up front here, um, tell people what where you're coming from. Yeah, you know, we I started Feeling Film with my best friend seven years ago now, which is crazy to think about how long <laughs> it's been, and we've put out a combined you know five hundred plus episodes easy over the years. And it's just something that kind of came together as a way for us to talk about movies. We used to do it via voice messages back and forth when we would go through TV series together. Or we would, you know, both see a movie and we'd start sending one to two minute messages back and forth to each other. And one day I was like, hey, we should just record this sometime and do it like on a video chat and see what happens. And we did it and we kind of fell in love with it as most podcasters will be familiar with once kind of very addicting kind of a, a thing that once you do it, you're like, Oh, I want more. It's hard to stop. Yeah. <laughs> once you're it really, it really is. And it's hard not to want to just create all sorts of like side projects, which I've, I've had my share of that have not, you know, panned out because it's you always struggle like, with that too. I'm always like in this. a mind where I'm doing like 20 side projects in my mind that aren't going to happen, but I have all these ideas. Exactly. Exactly. And, and a lot of them come from doing a podcast. So if you, you know, maybe you do a podcast on these movies and you're like, ooh, you know, it'd be really cool. It'd be a whole podcast based on naval films. And then yeah. you like create this whole thing in your head. Anyhow, uh, yeah, Feeling Film kind of was born out of just our desire to do this and spend time together because he's back in Arkansas where I'm from and I'm in Seattle. So it's our way of weekly getting together and ensuring we we have that dialogue and just community um, with each other, which is great. And we both are very emotional beings. Um, and so we like how movies make us feel, which is where the title came from. And so while there is definitely a critical element to what my new review, so I am a member of Seattle Film Critics Society with you. I publish new reviews weekly spoiler free they're solo pods they're short sweet and i definitely approach those with a little bit more of a critical eye as we should but especially for our full breakdown episodes where we go into full spoilers we just care more about our emotional reaction to movies than we do about mm. whether the cinematography was great or whether the plot was absolutely perfect yeah. If it affects us, that is something we really lean into. And so that's kind of our approach to talking about movies for the most part. But yeah, that's uh, what it is. And that's, it's great. I love it. I have a blast. Besides this first movie, I think you have to almost look at it emotionally. You almost have to like capture your emotional attachment to what that first movie is doing to really carry through with the others. I can't imagine not watching that first one and then being like, yeah, yeah, I love these other movies individually as standalone pieces of entertainment. I, I can't, I mean, it it has to fit together. And um, just like the first three movies, which we could kind of focus on, I think mainly are um, exceptional as like a last way of making movies shot on a lot of locations around Caribbean islands, which would never happen now. All Marvel movies are shot in Flor in uh, Georgia and like sound studios, right? So it's like- It would look like crap if they did it today. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, they would never do this. Uh, this was like the last stand of that, by the way. Master and Commander and Pirates of the Caribbean were developed at the same time. And Pirates wanted to shoot at that uh, that uh, water studio in, in uh, California where the Titanic and Master and Commander were shot. But Master and Commander was being shot there. Uh, Peter Weir's like 
I think one of the greatest naval films of all time was uh, being shot at the same time. So there was a something in the water, so to speak, and all these directors were kind of like coalescing in uh, this cool last stand for for what like one of these location movies could be. And I'm glad it came when it did, right before it was on its way out. Yeah, me as well. I don't think it would look nearly as good. We watched a short film as well as part of our oh, yeah. prep for this. Uh, one of your friends who brought that to our attention. I forgot her name. We should thank uh, her. Serena. Yeah, Serena. Serena. So thank you, Serena. I didn't love it like she did, but <laughs> it was interesting. It was just yeah. a little 10 minute short about how the two winches that are upset with Jack became upset with Jack and how Jack ended up on this ship that was sinking as he arrives into Port Royale for our very first introduction of him. So it's a little bit of backstory. The reason I bring it up though, is because when we were talking, when you're talking about location shooting, the one thing that stood out to me in that short film, there are a couple of scenes of an old, like broken down ship yeah. they're stepping out of toward the end. And it was so evident that it was shot on a stage Yes. The whole thing is the whole the whole short really feels like two location stage play. Like yeah. it looked like I was at Paramount Theater watching a musical or something. And it was just stuck out like a sore thumb compared to the films. They must have filmed it, you know, after or whatever in extra pickup shots. And so if the whole movie series looked like that, yeah, it would lose so much of its charm for sure. And that was uh, uh directed um I'm forgetting the guy's name, but uh, one of uh, Gore, um, Gore Verbinski's uh, assistants, and he uh, worked with him on uh, all his big movies. Uh, James Ward Byrickett, uh is the guy's name. Um, I just looked that up. Director of Coherence? Yes. <laughs> Coherence is phenomenal. Yeah. He got Coherence, I think, right after this, uh, right around oh, this time. That. He wrote it, too. He wrote and directed Coherence, so he Other, got better. <laughs> he got yeah. Better. The other thing is this seems like it would have been like the, the prequel to Pirates. And this is what was originally in the riot is that there was the scene where these winches were being sold off. And that's also been changed, I believe, to like get more with the times. And I think what it implies in the riot is a little bit different now about women pirates. And uh, they make the character red more prominent in the riot, which is uh, the woman pirate that features in there. So uh, right after he made this short, they, they changed the riot. Uh, right before you got there, I, I suppose. Uh, so uh, this is also a small window where that could only happen right at that moment. And uh, I, I kind of liked it though, as like a, um, as a, like a backstory for the two winches, which is really unnecessary. But uh, you know, they're they're fun characters. It's cute. I think they're yeah, fun. it's a yeah. it's a cute. It's cute. It's it's neat because they also feature you know, feature. That's the wrong word, but they show up in future movies and so it's yeah. like i think that's one of the other endearing parts about this that you know kind of is sort of in that marvel vein of side characters and cameos but some of my favorite moments come from very i guess not important characters who just repeatedly have a scene that they completely steal so whether it's the two pirates from jack's original crew that are now on barbosa's crew they start out as ghost pirates the one guy who's got the eye and then i think the difference really between like something like this and like the way that marvel 
and I can will continue to use Marvel as the benchmark of referencing everything in the world when it comes to like mm. IP integration with absolutely <laughs> movie making. But you know, like you see this first movie, and he's just got this eye, and it's a gag. It's nothing yeah. more than a gag, right? But if you watch through the whole series, eventually this becomes an arc to where that <laughs> matters, and you learn there's something special about that, and that's really well done here. So those two characters stood out. The two winches are like that. And the other that stand out for me are the two Port Royal guards who initially have the interaction with Jack at the mm -hmm. port. And <laughs> they're very funny. They're so funny. And they eventually become pirates. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's great. Like, yeah, I love that development for them. It's really fun watching those little things happen across the whole series. And that's like what what works so well in the uh, original movie is you have that humor. You have Jack like coming up in there, like a, you know, um, trying to like apprehend him and uh, just that kind of Looney tunes, like, Oh, here's my escape. And it's so comic and it's so uh, family film in a way that's not, we don't really get family films in the same sense anymore as well. Uh, that's kind of a, a dead genre in the way that pirates, the family film. I mean, Marvel, you could kind of say, is almost leaning more toward like a teenage audience than, you know, a, a child could watch Pirates of the Caribbean and be t totally taken with it. And it's, I think, the right levels of every development there. Um, I think what also works is Jack in those scenes. Like, he's not the main character. He's just there to do, you know, really amusing Looney Tunes scenes. And he's not uh, always comedic. Like, he's not always doing a joke in the first movie like bad things also happen to check and he's also you know less experienced at certain things or he's supposed to be you know less believable as like a hero's arc like why would jack become the center of the fourth and fifth movie when uh i think so obviously uh turner is uh, will turner uh, orlando bloom is very clearly the main character yeah it's tough i mean i get the struggle for studios i understand it because you create this film and you put him in there and he's the thing that everybody yeah. latches onto right he's the thing that allows you to make your money off of marketing he's the one that you are selling toys off of he you know you're selling wigs or pirate hats and outfits and and everything related to it is jack 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 and so i get it because there's probably a real draw for the actor himself for depth, no matter who the actor is. This isn't like an indictment on him as a person, but when you're in that and you know, you're getting that fame from this role, you're going to want to be the center. You're going to want everything to be around you, but you're absolutely right. It doesn't work. I think it works a little better in the fifth movie because I enjoy the fifth movie more because the fifth movie gets back to the roots of the fourth movie. It has different characters, but for me, I absolutely adored Kaya Scodelario. I'm probably mm -hmm. saying her last name wrong. Uh, I really enjoy her in the Maze Runner series. And I thought that she did a fantastic job along with whoever, you know, was serviceable as Henry Turner. I don't even remember who played him, sure. but like their inclusion in the story along with Jack and Barbosa yeah, felt much more like a Will Turner and an original story. But the fourth movie, man, the fourth movie is like completely All Jack. off the charts. Like it's so focused on Jack that 
yeah, it's just it's an overload. And so like, like part ah, of too much. Part of that is also like uh Orlando Bloom just coming off the like amazing like Lord of the Rings films, like right into this project. And then uh rare studios never do this now, but the second and third movie were shot at the same time. Um now you have to wait like multiple years to see if your movie actually made money at theater and then at home. Then you have to wait for like a an audience to like form and demand something. But uh yeah, both films were shot at the same time. So 300 days of shooting, which uh, a major action movie typically is only a few months of shooting. Um, so you can imagine like just the wear and tear on the actors and Orlando Bloom kind of like sinking away from like the public spotlight after that, just being so afraid and tired of seeing himself everywhere. Um, so in that way, I think Johnny Depp was more ready for that because he's always been that in Hollywood. He's been around for longer, whereas Orlando Bloom was kind of not really someone before Lord of the Rings. And now he was like one of the major guys and he could have had that same arc. But, uh, you know, he wanted to do theater and uh, his is a more subdued performance because he's a different kind of performer. Um, I think you need that. Um, I think you need that level to it, that subdued performance against Jack's just like out there. Keith Richards impersonation. It's a great way to put it. Yeah, I, I think the movies work because they're ensemble pieces. That's mm. why they're outstanding. They are kind of like the baseline of what the Avengers would end up becoming, but without the need to have a bunch of individual <laughs> origin stories first. that That's kind of what makes the Avengers so great, right? Is you get all these different unique personalities, so at least somewhat unique at the time. Now everybody's the same. Uh, yes. But th back then, <laughs> you know, it felt it felt a, it felt a little bit unique and you throw them together and you it's all about pacing and editing. And, and that's where Gore is not just a visionary master in this way, but he was able to understand when too much of one plot line was happening to shift. And like, let's put some focus on backstory of Barbosa and let's have these moments where we get great scenes like the ghost reveal i mean i will never forget those big moments and then and, and just and then we would drop into something kind of comedic or we would mm. go through just a little bit of plot progression where we get to explore a new location and learn a little bit more about the world around us and the mythology and i think that it, that's the key to making all of these work because if you just took a movie and you were like okay we're just going to center it 100 on, on will turner I don't know that that would work either. I mean, it might would work better than Jack, but it wouldn't. It would be much more like, like you mentioned earlier, like a Mutiny on the Bounty. That would be much more like a traditional mm -hmm. swashbuckling movie feel. Like you'd just be replacing Errol Flynn with Orlando Bloom, which yeah. works, but it, it could work. Have the, quite the same way. feel as a Pirates movie. The Pirates mm -hmm. movie is a is an ensemble piece. They were trying to get this made for a long time, so you could imagine like the different kind of outcomes you would have had i know spielberg wanted to make it in the 90s the script was already there uh in the early 90s and uh he wanted to put like robin williams in as as sparrow so you know it could have just been so many different movies uh, uh robert de niro was first asked uh, to play but he thought it wouldn't make money so we turned down jack sparrow um i think it worked out that we had johnny depp this is uh his kind of performance uh i think unfortunate for his career it led to well, maybe a 
culmination of things, but him only doing costume parts, uh, rather than, uh, you know, like my favorite depth performance being like, uh, the Ed Wood movie, um, <laughs> which is just a, a, also my favorite Tim Burton movie. Um, I, I think he could do so much more, uh, but he plays these larger than life characters and, and seems to need a costume. Yeah, I think so. I, I've actually been really wanting to check out Black Mass. I haven't seen it. Did you watch that when it came out? No, I haven't yet. Yeah, it's weird. It's one of the few mob films that I skipped <laughs> over, but he he's less costumey, I believe, in that. More <laughs> of a straighter kind of role. But yeah, he's so into character. Mm. And it's, it's almost like thespian-esque type acting, like stage acting in a way, you know, where he is playing. Uh, you know what is it tonto i think he plays tonto right that's mm -hmm. the whole problem um <laughs> yeah and you know and like edward scissorhands and and just Willy wonka yeah. yeah he's just very crazy wacky characters but oh he's in one of my favorite films favorite horror films very unseen and um... under appreciated in my opinion in a very normal way which is called the ninth gate He's just a book. He's just a that. dude. He's just a dude. He's a bookseller, and it's it's okay. an occultic tale about a book and the potential connection that book may have to something supernatural. But and it's a Polanski a, movie. I, I yeah, guess I gotta see it. Really good. <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, cool. Yeah, check it out. But he's he's very normal in that one for sure. But yeah, I think it became a persona. It's it's almost like we talk about typecasting all the time it happens in Hollywood. You get good at a thing. You get famous for doing a thing well. And that's what they want to continue putting you in movies to do because that's what brings them money. And I appreciate actors that are able to break out of that and are able to earn enough clout, actors and directors alike, who are able to say, I'm going to do the one for you, one for me thing. So mm. yeah, I may give you another crazy kooky performance, but then I'm going to go do this Martin Scorsese movie <laughs> as well, because <laughs> I need to do some real acting <laughs> and not yeah, just yeah. antics. Real acting like uh, Orlando Bloom going into that Gran Turismo movie, which is like the realist kind of uh, movie coming out this year. Um, I, I don't know. So since you bring that up, so, Jeremy Johns, uh, another mm. Seattle film critic here, a uh, friend of mine who was at CinemaCon just this past week. We were texting about, about the stuff he's been watching, and that was the thing he wanted to talk to me most about. He's like, dude, <laughs> you have no idea. He said, the trailer for this movie blew me away. He said it was the best thing I saw at CinemaCon. <laughs> he watched The Flash. He's like, all this other yeah. stuff is good, but it was that trailer. He's And I was like, what? I mean, I love... Neil Blomkamp. Yeah. Like it is Neil Neil Blomkamp, right? It is, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. I love his stuff. But and even when this was announced, I was like, huh? <laughs> I mean, there, there's no story <laughs> to Gran Turismo. No, it's, right. It's about someone who plays the game and becomes like so adept that they end up actually becoming a race Real car racer, driver. Which yeah. actually sounds horrible. Like yeah, it, could go it sounds so terrible. Long. Yeah. <laughs> but he he said that it looks incredible and and i'm rooting for it you know because of blomkamp but also i think as you've mentioned you know orlando sort of fell off the face of the earth after his swashbuckling era he was in three musketeers as well 
Yeah, that didn't quite um, although, work out financially. I, you know, I, I always thought he should be like a leading musketeer in a Three Musketeers movie. He seems right. like a perfect person for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would love to see you know a career come back for him. He's much older now. Yeah, and, I guess he's uh, probably around our age. Hmm. Yeah, he must 30s, be. He must 40s. be getting up there. Um, and it, yeah, he took like a long leave of absence also, and uh, you know, maybe getting married to Katy Perry. I, I keep looking into this, and I'm like. They've been engaged since 2019. Um, that's quite a while just to stay engaged. But uh, uh, we also have a, our sister podcast. I'm thinking of spoiling things. They do a bi-weekly segment on the Gran Turismo movie. Uh, gear up for Gran Turismo. So uh, we have uh, extended coverage on that movie specifically. Uh, I don't know how many months they're going to keep covering Gran Turismo. But it seems like there must be a lot there. Um, I find that... Uh, also what kind of works in this movie is like where the actors are like mentally like Johnny Depp uh, might've responded differently to fit this kind of fame than Orlando Bloom did. Uh, we know that he developed like a $40,000 a month wine habit uh, at some point. So he kind of became, that's a lot of wine. Holy yeah. He God. said that's a conservative estimate, $40,000 a month. So it could have been, you know, 60,000 some months. Bro, uh, who needs... <laughs> Gives him Boone's farm. And yeah invest there was uh just a lot around johnny depp that's kind of bothering to some audiences now it's harder for them to approach it without feeling somewhat compromised just uh however you fall on the trials just that being in the news and in your face the last two years i think has annoyed a lot of people out of his camp or out of amber heard's camp as well so um they both probably only lost from that uh it's hard to imagine him coming back. If there's the new movie, I don't think it could be Jack Sparrow at all. Um, new characters. I don't, I don't want him back. I, you know, no. I want. I would love for him to show up in a cameo role in some scene, but I take that back because I don't want to put that out into the universe. <laughs> I don't want him back in a cameo. Yeah. I would love him to be back in a very minimal capacity where... He is not a critical piece to the main plot, but perhaps he shows up in some sort of a subplot, brief side quest type concern. I'd like to see him again in the series, but only, and, and that maybe this isn't possible. So if a writer can't do it well, then don't do it at all. Hmm. <laughs> but but if they were able to write him in, in a, you know, 15 minutes of screen time, throughout the movie to where it works and it's not just wink wink nod nod every single time he shows up mm. i would really enjoy that but yeah it's gotta be somebody else that takes the reins and rolls with it you mentioned margot robbie and i i don't know i <laughs> the women's pirate maybe you could see what they're thinking do like the oceans eight uh, i know she's making an oceans eight or oceans 11 movie as well so we uh, did that yeah, her production company seems to be kind of like mining these things that have kind of happened and um Barbie will be good but we'll I mean, see about what's these wrong things. With, like we've had the woman pirate though. We, we Yeah. No, I'm not saying we don't need more. Mm. I'm curious if Mario Robbie would be the right choice for that. I don't think she'd be my initial pick. Mm. But you know, I wouldn't have really thought Kira Knightley would grow into it either and there are some phenomenal scenes in Dead Man's Chest. I mean, I, I changed my facebook cover photo to it because there's yeah one of my absolute favorite moments in the entire series is when she gives this speech and she's like takes control and that's a great moment the pirate king 
and it's just it's crazy but it's it's awesome and then like kaya scotelario i really enjoyed her in there as well so I, yeah i'd be down for whatever they want to do in this universe if it's consistent hmm. but yeah if they're gonna just do it all green screen and force it to kind of be overly gender focused versus just happen to be leading by a female pirate that is your captain and whatever naturally comes from that, then it'll be way lesser than Yeah, just make a just make a real traditional story in this same arc. I think you could you could bring it back almost as it was, but uh I don't think yeah, I don't think I it think needs to problem. be <laughs> I mean there's enough mythology here you could easily continue this on with lineage mm-hmm. of characters and bring it into you know whatever the next decade it is oh yeah and and i like that i like that as this series progresses it does account for history and the fact that there was a change in the way that sea lanes were being approached Mm. and who was in charge and who was conquering the seas and what their goals were and how that affected the a bit a, a you know pirates actual existence which changed mm. over the course of all of these movies i think the the main thing that works like very consistently through the series is we have the hans zimmer score and it's so tremendous and so um recognizable it's one of those last like blockbuster scores outside of marvel that is very immediate and you know what it is right away you feel it and you feel excited for the movie you remember the best things about the movie when you hear it it's fantastic and klaus Bedolt. do not mm. we we got to give klaus Bedolt his flowers too because he was a big part of this score the original one and and it is so iconic it yeah. is so memorable you're right it, you you know it immediately when you hear it and i'm a big fan of scores this kind of plays into my own podcast being about feelings some will say oh the music is just being manipulative of my emotions yeah i would argue every movie is being manipulative of your emotions i think so it's supposed to like yeah that's that's what they do that's the whole point of a story and so and you know music is just one aspect or element of that and so for me you know a rousing score it is huge um, to help get me to the emotional place that the movie wants me to be in for whatever scenes. And this one is absolutely that. And is also one that is just fantastic to put on. You know, I, I like a lot of movie music within the film that I don't necessarily have any desire to go listen to, yeah. but this is a score that I put on all the time. Just it's so great. Yeah. It's fun to listen to. It's it, it, gets you excited it kind of you know it it makes you smile yeah it just brings you joy and happiness and raises your spirits and i think that that's really great i think just how high spirited it all is this is a jerry bruckheimer film so it kind of fits into that kind of action mold um jerry bruckheimer now the owner of the kraken helped bring hockey to seattle i love that we went with kind of like a pirates or a kraken theme and uh, we have as of this year, we have Hans Zimmer uh, producing our score at the start of the Kraken Games, which is an amazing tie-in awesome. as well. Yeah, it feels so great. It um, is. It feels and, 
weird though when you watch the kraken go down in this movie because like now being kraken fans i had the yeah. same thing happen i was playing another video game this weekend final fantasy one and i posted about this i, I had to fight a kraken and I was, I was, I was conflicted because it was a day we were playing and I was literally wearing all of my Kraken gear. And I'm like, this just does not feel right. I'm, I'm, you can't take know. it down that day. You have to leave your Nintendo on for the yeah. weekend. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I can only kill you on days. We're not actually playing. Come back to you after the playoffs is over or something, but this uh, may be very re- irrelevant by the time this comes up and we've been out of the playoffs for a couple of weeks. But, uh, uh, as of today, I'm very excited about the Kraken. Um, Hopefully, yeah. We're rooting yeah. for the Kraken in this one. Yeah. Um, Maybe not so the Pirates movies, but... There is, like, that cinematic vibe to that team because it is, like, a Bruckheimer theme, and it feels like one of the more cinematic hockey teams, like the whole presentation and on-ice thing and kind of spectacle. And uh, even just as a Seattleite, I've always really appreciated that I need to be by water. I like to be on water, around water. As you say, you're kind of drawn to the sea anyway. And um, I think... a a lot of that is I just kind of want to be in these movies. I, I want to explore it these first three or so. Um, even when they're not on the sea, they're talking about pirate things and doing pirate things. They're talking about like deep pirate lore, like parlay and like things that like just movies usually miss. Like Cutthroat Island isn't really a pirate movie the way Pirates of the Caribbean is so embedded in the culture or whatever. Waterworld is not a pirate movie like Pirates of the Caribbean is. No, no, it's not. I, I also think the antagonists, I almost said villains, mm-hmm. the antagonists in this movie series are just so important to it. And we, we talk about an ensemble cast. They're part of that, that whether it's Hector Barbosa and then you have Davy Jones right and even in the worst movie you get ian mcshane playing blackbeard which is <laughs> which is great phenomenal. actually right? yeah yeah like holy cow and there's just this string of fantastic actors absolutely fantastic actors even you know you get a still in scars guard as mm. bootstrap bill and there's what i think of as these guys are a lot of them are classically trained in ways and they are extremely competent, dramatic actors. And their level of bringing, I don't know, they they just, not just a gravitas to this, but they bring legitimacy to these characters. Absolutely. And depth to these characters that goes beyond the antics of a Jack and, and plays really well against him. Because let's be real, like Jack Black, Jack Black, Johnny Depp as Jack (laughs) is fantastic because he's wild and crazy, but he is not hitting strong emotional beats on a constant basis where these other characters are. And yeah, I agree. You really understand their motivations. I think everybody has legitimately interesting motivations in this movie, too, for what they're doing and the way that they craft those antagonists and the plot lines to be this situation where everybody is trying to do something that's better for themselves or get rid of something bad that has happened to them, a curse of some kind. And it's just a huge series of making promises to each other 
and breaking them because you're caring about yourself. Well, you and caught they, yourself saying that they're villains or villainous, which is also true because they I, want oh, their it. humanity. Yeah, and, you're right. Uh, why are they villainous? They want to be humans. And if we deprive a villain of their humanity, are we not the villains? It's There's an interesting interplay and in, like, as you said, stakes for every character uh, to get back to life, to rid themselves of curses. Uh, and so we're not rooting against the bad guys. There are no real, you know, I mean, Sparrow is as much a bad guy as Barbosa is. Barbosa is my favorite character in the movies. Uh, Jeffrey Rush is a really good actor. Like you say, they bring so much theatric like sensibility to it. And they're more grounded, which is essential against Depp. Yeah. Oh, he's, I think, my favorite as well uh, overall. And I really enjoy that pretty much everybody has some sort of an arc. Mm. The main characters, at least. They don't just exist to be in scenes and i it's a very difficult thing to to i guess articulate when it happens poorly but you know right. when characters are just showing up to say something funny and then go away but they're not there's no actual character or personality progression but you you see that happening here throughout mm. their experiences affect their actions and the way that they handle future situations. And it's not just the antagonists or the main cast. It's so many of like the side players. I made a, a point of saying this on Letterboxd when I rewatched it this time around, but Norrington, James Norrington is such an intriguing character in this series. And he's not got a ton of screen time. Mm. But you look at this guy and where he starts out and he is first, he's actually in the very first scene of the movie when they, which is an awesome opening scene, by the way. It's so great. It, in the fog and like coming up across who is ultimately we're going to learn is Will Turner floating. Mm -hmm. And then you see the pearl off in the background in the fog and, and having, you know, destroyed the ship. And, but Norrington is the captain at the time. He gets promoted a few times to Admiral and then Commodore and then loses it all and becomes a pirate. And then it's just, it's such an interesting arc because he's not a bad dude. His goal is protecting the people of Port Royal, protecting his fleet that's out there doing whatever they're doing and keeping mm. people from being hurt, from being thieved by pirates, from being murdered, robbed, stolen, you know, whatever. Like he's, he's trying to do that. He desires and loves Elizabeth in a time where that's how it worked, <laughs> you know? So it's easy to say, oh, well, that's, you can't just pick a girl because you think she's pretty and you want to marry her. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very modern days. That's not going to cut it. But in the time period, that was normal. And he's not gross about it. He's not rude about it. He he comes to make good decisions where he understands that she doesn't want him and she lets him, he lets her go with that. He gives, you know, headway to Jack and the crew so they can get away. He, he has this great, great life for me. Um, yeah. It's depicted. And even when he becomes a pirate for a while and then he tries to get it all back because he wants to get back in the good graces of the crown when Beckett gives him that opportunity all the way up to ultimately 
sacrificing his life for these people that he was trying to catch for 90% of the film and he considered <laughs> the villains. He does it because he understands the character and the heart of human beings and that they are worth giving his life for. And it's just, it's beautiful to me. Yeah. Even these side characters have so much internal depth. And as you say, like lives that seem to be like in play and, and seem to be developing in the chronology of the series. And they're all played by such good actors. Um, uh, so I think you're maybe a little bit more fond of the movies than I am. I think, uh, my main thing with each of them is every one of them is too long. I think, uh, every one of them could be clipped a little bit. The first one barely, but still a little bit too long. The rest of them far too long for me. Um, they could be hard more to, efficient. Hard to argue with that. They yeah. get longer as they go up until five, maybe four, I think yeah. four maybe cuts back. I can't remember, but they do get progressively longer to the point where it's almost like three hours long, I think on the third one. And that is way too long. The de- dead man's feel chest. Yeah. yeah. Dead man's chest. The second one, that's pretty much my only knock on it is some of the pacing. I think yeah. what actually happens throughout it is really good. And and once you get it. to the crack and everything, and once it's you just get like incredible. Climax, you don't care. Yeah. You forgive it for everything. Once you get exactly. there, you're like, you had to build up to this. I'm fine now. Yeah. yeah. It's just such a great scene. Like that's uh, watching it back. I'm like, oh yeah, that's one of my favorite action scenes of the last twenty years. Is this crack and fight that I forgot all about, and I uh, just the aesthetic, just uh, aboard the uh, ships here uh, is just kind of incredible. I keep wanting to call them boats and make a boat ship joke, as in yeah. the movie does, but uh, I can't find the joke yet. Um, it's a uh, really just such a nice aesthetic like the the creatures and like what it seems like stuff is like growing on them like barnacles seem to be like emerging on the people who are cursed on the ships and it's such a cool idea of like oh these guys have been here for a long time like they've been on the ship and you see like that aesthetic wear on them uh, which is really important i think to building some of davy jones and barbosa's characters yeah the kind of uniqueness between Davy Jones's crew, the Flying Dutchman, and the way that it looks versus Barbosa's ghostly crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even Blackbeard's ship, the Queen Anne, which is really interesting looking. Uh, and then at the end, you have the ship from Javier Bardem's captain, uh, Armando Salazar, right? And yeah. There is another like phenomenal shot. It's pretty quick Mm. in this one where his ship, because of the way that it's a ghost ship, it like opens, it like raises up almost like a snake. It's about to strike and it, but it opens up like a centipede legs and it it consumes. And there's this, this awesome scene of like it doing that, like head on against Blackbeard's ship, the queen Anne, which is queen Anne's revenge, which is now being captained by, Barbosa and actually has that like it's called Greek fire that shoots out the front of it. I mean, all the ships, they're so they're different and yet they're all very, very interesting and and iconic looking. None of them to me feel like, oh, it's just another repeat of a ship. And I appreciate that a lot in a movie that is about being out on ships at sea and pirates because you need them to to have their own individual personalities. I found out just yesterday we have a, a pirate tour in Queen Anne 
on aboard a ship called the Queen Anne's Revenge. No way. Thinking of taking my daughter on it now. Like it's like an all day like pirate excursion around like the sound there. Uh it just oh, sounds like a fun family thing. Um that's awesome. I wonder if it's the Sea <laughs> <Bear> Pirates. <laughs> I wonder I if it's tied it to maybe to different. It's uh Emerald City Pirates, I think the, the name that of the organization. So cool. Now I have to investigate because I'd love to take my daughter out, get like the the pictures for Facebook of us and our pirate hats and uh, just that's a good time. Um, the other thing about the movies, uh, the titles kind of suck. I wish it were just Pirates of the Caribbean for the first one. And Gore Verbinski argued against it because the curse of the Black Pearl, well, the Black Pearl is not actually cursed. Uh, the Aztec gold is actually cursed. And what uh, drives the curse? The ship itself is not a cursed ship. That's a uh, very good point. I, yeah, so, I, I mean, that's I it's a false title. Uh, so those are my only real two problems with the first one which i've learned is actually one of my favorite action movies that i didn't know was um just revisiting it i went back to my you know my first original theater experience with it i'm like this was so charming and so endearing i i love this original movie um i still like the second the the sequels the first two sequels too uh they were a great time um and uh i guess the best thing I could say for the two after them is I wanted more. Uh, I didn't know that I wanted more Pirates of the Caribbean, but now I'm ready for them to develop more movies. That's awesome. Yeah, I am definitely, the first one's an all-time favorite, like top 100 all-time movie for me, for sure. It's just one of the best experiences, even by itself. If if nothing else came of it. It would be even better, I think, if it, it were just alone. alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is hard to do hard to to work that well as a solo movie and as part of your series at the same time and then i i love dead man's chest almost as much the pacing is really the only mm. thing for me that slows it down just a bit but i i think that from a story perspective what it introduces with davy jones and the way that the mythology is expanded upon which is one of my absolute just favorite parts about this whole series is mermaids and goddesses and beasts of the sea and curses and all that stuff just i adore it i'm an adventure junkie i'm an exploration and treasure hunting junkie i love my mm. charted and my indiana jones and anything like this so i eat that up and i love that and then from there it starts to drop off for me um the first three definitely stand above and beyond i think for me, the third one this time around, what at World's End, I agree with you. These titles are, I mean, I guess that's accurate, but yeah, that one at least not makes that great. sense. Like on Stranger Tide should probably be the title to At World's End, but um, yeah, it's right. just <laughs> if it fits it that movie better, but they just get so packed and so I don't know, they're, they're unable to balance mm. as they get bigger and bigger with the expanding the mythology. I like the expanded mythology. So to me in that one, it's still compelling because of the fact that you're learning about the pirate Lords and this council making decisions. And like, that is really, really cool. And I love that. And I like Elizabeth Swan becoming part of that and having to take over. And then there's being this conflict of a battle between what do we do and who makes the decisions and who are we fighting against is it the English or is it Davy Jones or what's going on? So I like all of that. It's just definitely not as tightened up. And they 
just as a matter of like shooting these back to back these yeah it i mean it eventually just i mean that fourth movie is also the third most expensive film ever made and i feel like it doesn't show on the screen at all like i i think the mermaids everything i think it looks terrible but um i think the more money they pour into these the kind of the worse they get uh unfortunately um i think just the crafts and the shooting on scene in the first three and uh Lord of the Rings and this were kind of our last films that were really optioned as like multiple entries. And like the director's just like, okay, go make two entries of this movie and we'll promote and put them both out with the same interest. Uh, then we had the Hobbit, which kind of unfortunately kind of ended that for most people. But uh, the only one remaining is Avatar, which is kind of still around this time that plan was being developed. So uh, that's really our only remnant of this kind of filmmaking of, directors being um trusted entrusted with making like four or five movies so it doesn't happen anymore so no it didn't even happen with dune no i mean if denis villeneuve with his track record and and that's because of box office success because money drives it all it's not about being good yeah because we all pretty much villeneuve is great yeah. universally love blade runner 2049 but it didn't make anything it was yeah. a bomb completely wasted hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever of their <laughs> money. And so they're like, no, but like, it's crazy to get, I, I remember at our screening, I don't know if you were there. For Dune? Yeah. I was. Yeah. It actually said Dune part one. It did. Yeah. And they took that out later in the mark. <laughs> and when it came out in theaters. Yeah. I brought uh, that up to some people. I'm like, uh -huh. this is, why are you selling it as part one? Then they didn't thankfully. Yeah. Because, <laughs> but then they, they waited to see what would happen before they, greenlit the the rest of the story which is it's so sad yeah you know i i but i like it this way personally so i and this is one where i think at least in the first phase or two of marvel's arcs that they were able to get this mostly right mm -hmm. is there was a plan and that's part of what you know dc did wrong and so that's what this is doing correctly when you have when you, when you write your story out and you're like, this is where it's going to go, but we're only going to make this chunk of it right now. And it's going to work even if we don't get to do anything else. I just feel like there's such a distinct difference in the final product than when you make a movie and it's successful and you go, oh, hmm, well, what could we do next? Yes. And then you start thinking because it's influenced by the what love. Worked. that yeah. Right. It's influenced by the reactions to it. Instead of it all coming naturally out of your brain and creativity, and then it either works or it doesn't. It's just, it's very very obvious. It's hard yeah. again. It's hard to articulate, but when you see it, you know the difference. That is the difference between the first three, and then as you say, like the reaction to Johnny Depp was, "Let's make Johnny Depp the movie," because that's what everyone responds to. But that's not why we responded to him. So I think there is a misunderstanding of of that from some studios and uh um i i don't know i do feel uh more positive on everything in the pirates of the caribbean than i did before watching the movies which i thought i was going to be a little bit more antagonistic uh maybe toward your love for the movies but uh i i feel like i, I haven't ended up that way i'm mostly with you well i want so do you have any favorite pieces of mythology like what are your favorite uh, like ideas that they explore oh in these movies mm -hmm. um yeah i think it is Obviously kind of yeah it, 
it will be like the the Kraken and kind of what happens to like the cursed shipmates and um that kind of like supernatural part of the pirate legacy just because it's so unique under these movies is, but is there anything like any of the items like i'll say for me oh sure i just think that the compass is one of the most interesting ideas that really drives this whole story throughout in a very subtle way is this simple artifact of this that tells you where you're going hmm. your hearts or drives you to your heart's desire and what these films do a really good job of overall is deciding when to explain something and why it happened i.e the curse of the aztec gold and and when not to so they they tell you the curse happened because of this this and this and this but then they don't go too heavy into well who what god like created the curse right yeah but oh the compass the compass just exists there's never an understanding of like oh you know zeus came down and gave this compass to blah 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 i mean we know about calypso Mm. but you know she gives it i think she gave it to davy jones initially is how it it started but i i guess i there could be an over desire to complicate things by explaining them. And I just think that they do a really good job of introducing those fantastical elements without taking it to the point of. Exhaustion. They don't want the origin story, everything like a, yeah. like a modern Disney movie might do. Yeah. Yeah. Like I watching balance, like watching the new Peter Pan up against these movies. It feels the need to explain like who Captain Hook is, where he comes from, why he was a lost boy originally, and how he's like voted out of that tribe. And I'm like, I don't need that. Uh, I'm yeah, okay. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah, we're we're actually going to be podcasting on that tonight for oh, the episode and watching it directly back to back after these five, and it having such a similarity with the mm-hmm. pirate stuff it was like, oh. <laughs> I really liked it actually because I like David Lowry and I like those parts, but then when it sinks into like origin story mode and that's all it adds besides the original movie and kind of cleaning up some stuff for like modernized like ethics <laughs> yeah you know i i don't need that 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 doesn't help in a movie um one of the other things i did want to say i really do like about stranger tides there's a couple things that i enjoy about that one enough and it is not the whole journey of the film because the it's it's just too much and it's not great moment to moment to moment but there are scenes and there's certain aspects of it that i think gave it potential i like the fact that the whole thing is set up to be this religious battle in a sense Mm -hmm. or um i exploration of the importance uh or the differences of faith and how they played out at the time period because you have england you know, representing a Christianity, a Protestantism uh, approach, sort of. And then you have Catholicism from Spain. And then you have this mysticism from the pirates. And they're all converging to try and find the fountain of youth. But they all have different desires for what they want to do with it. And mm-hmm. the fact that they just don't want somebody, their opponents to have it. And I, I really enjoyed that. I liked the fact that the Spaniards are like, yeah, we're here to just destroy it. Because it's evil or it's it's unnatural. Like this is not what God intended. And so we just want to 
get rid of it. And then you have your pirates who are like very intent on just using it from a selfish personal level, which, which is very piratey. And then you have England who kind of just wants to control it. And mm. I love that about it. And I, I liked that the fountain of youth in this film is depicted. I don't know if it's, I feel like it's different than other depictions I've seen of it where it's not just you use the fountain of youth and you get youth, but you have to take it from someone. I just thought that that was right. such a cool, yeah, interesting twist to where that makes it, it a conflict. It really does. It changes things completely because now you are, there's a cost. Someone else has to pay for you to get this quote everlasting life. And that really was interesting to me, even it if it wasn't a good executed there, in a great way, yeah. but yeah. You could see like why they wanted to fund that and put all the money into that movie. But uh, third most expensive movie of all time. I, I can't believe that watching it. Um, it's very sad, actually. It is. Uh, because that could have funded three or four different pirate movies that were that were very good. Um, so sometimes we get one movie that's that's really terrible when we could fund a, another trilogy or something. I think if you did that and you kind of locked in those themes in the first one if it were like a whole trilogy for that same budget you could really add something around the fountain of life and that uh, initial conflict and then we're able to explore that in two more movies because there's kind of like five movies going on by the time you get to like stranger tides yeah and the characters are mostly there i mean again ian mcshane is blackbeard we talked about like he's oh mm, it, like ian mcshane is good in everything he's just, oh yeah he, he plays that same guy, whether it's John Wick or whether it's Westerns or whatever. It's the same type of character, but he's so good at it. And then I loved Penelope Cruz's Angelica. I just didn't like what they gave her to work with. But like when she had a couple of moments where it really showed to me, like she was making for a great female pirate. Like she she was on, to, on her game, but the script didn't give her a lot to do in a way that was interesting. And then... The whole mermaid thing was just stupid to me. Like I, I, I can't get on board. Well, it's Can also get... really dumb. Like go collect a mermaid's tear, like one tear. What, what? When I get it back, it'll have evaporated. What am I going to do with this tear? I don't yeah, know. It, exactly. Logic goes out the window in that one. I did think it was funny that Sam Claflin plays a missionary because <laughs> Sam Claflin <laughs> also plays a character named Finnick in the Hunger Games, which in that series he is from district four <laughs> i'm going on a really weird tangent <laughs> it, it's the fishing and water focused district and he specifically one of his big moments in the series is he fights with a trident in the hunger games and i obviously these are different but i just i just found it funny that like there's like this com connective water component uh, uh between his character but yeah that one that one doesn't work for me. The ship in a bottle thing, I I lost it. I, that's when I really am starting to question my enjoyment of the whole series because I'm like, what are we doing? This is dumb. Now we're just throwing things that darts at sticky notes or something. It, like somebody down the hall, you know, answering phones gave ideas. Uh, yeah, and you you could explain it better at the end what happens with the ship in the bottle and and why that was so essential to have in there, but it really doesn't do something with that. No. It's just kind of a idea. It's a there. means to get them away from a ship. It's a me. It's yeah. It to me, it's yeah. It's just it's one of those storytelling devices where it's like, well, we need a way to give them motivation to do the thing, so we're going to use this versus it feeling like a natural progression of the story that would have occurred 
there's a different it just feels forced it's kind well, of silly. yeah <laughs> i think so much of that that movie just is forced and just so awkwardly conceived on the screen uh, i could see the concepts uh of everything and how it could be a good movie um well we mentioned like uh hunger games and uh, indiana jones a few times maybe we should have you back for one of those once uh once those new movies are coming oh, I, I love them i love them all i have never seen all the hunger games and i haven't seen all the indiana jones because wow. i haven't seen the new indiana jones i've oh, seen the, the okay you know, the yeah, trilogy. you're forgiven for that that's <laughs> It's not good at all. I mean, yeah. it's such an embarrassment to the original trilogy that I, I'm not as nervous about this one simply because James Mangold has not let me down yet. No, and, he's great. So, And I have high hopes. And I would sure like James Mangold to make a, a pirate movie, by the way. Oh, I think yeah, he could, dude. given Pirates of the Caribbean, I'd want him to have like his own trilogy or something. He'd be amazing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, he may, he could probably make it more, more like we were talking about, like an Errol Flynn, like a traditional yeah. swashbuckling, old rip roaring seafaring adventure, but not quite as fantastical mm. um, would be more in line with something for him. That would be we, great. Usually at the end of these shows, we rank our subjects. Usually we're going through a director or a franchise, but I, I don't really see like the, the pure value of ranking this for me. It's chronological, except for the last film goes Ahead of Stranger Tides. I don't know where you're at, but uh, I'm at exactly the same place. It's chronological. Okay. <laughs> it's one, two, three, five, four. Just yeah. Like that. I just feel like that's just the order. I don't think there's, you know, it's that's the canon. That's what I think everyone mostly thinks, and and it's true. Uh, so I don't feel any need to like go in and and like go through <laughs> each one, being like, well, maybe we put this one. Up. No, it, that's the order. Uh, yeah, one through three, five, four, makes sense. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, what we'll have you back shortly? I hope to come back on your show too. I'm uh, waiting for my. Um, what did I do on your show? It was a boys, boys state, boys club. Yeah, boys state. Did we do boys state? Yeah, that documentary I came okay. on for. Um, but yeah, I'd love to do another podcast with you here soon. So. Yeah, we should do. It. Are you covering SIF at all? Maybe we can find a few SIF movies to do. Yeah, later. yeah, I'm doing SIF. Uh, Got to go pick up my badge tomorrow. Uh, yeah excited that. yeah yeah all right maybe we'll uh, we'll find something to do then because yeah i'd love to do that as well it'd be great and thank That'd you that'd be for awesome Conversations and I post them online for entertainment. It's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world. Things have changed, everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained? Thank you for listening. Listening to my podcast.
mind out of all the voices.